Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Are Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We are a couple of missionaries at Acts 29, and this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. And Mary, we have intruders in the studio today. Yes, we do. And it looks like they came from the other side of the sea. They came from the other side of the sea. We are so blessed uh, to have with us. Uh, he is off mic because we're uh, saving him for uh, proper, hopefully next week. Uh, Deacon Mark Moriarty, who is uh, with us for a couple of months. He came over from the Diocese of Cary, Ireland. Just been a tremendous brother. We're looking forward to doing a podcast with him. Hopefully, I, like I said, next week, uh, just to talk about the his own story, the situation of the church mm-hmm. in Ireland. It's just been a tremendous gift to have this brother uh, with us. We feel like he's part of the family in, in less than two weeks. Yeah, such and a we're eager for you all friend. to meet him as well. Yeah, yeah I, w- I was uh, talking with you guys earlier um, that there seems to be just a real natural affinity yeah. uh, for this brother in the Lord. Um, he's a young man. Um, Everybody's young to me late now. Twi- <laughs> me too, Father. But uh, a, a man um, late in his late 20s, but has the wisdom mm-hmm. of a man much uh, much older. Yep. And so we've been very blessed by so him. We, we can't to wait to share week. you. In the meantime, and, and then we also have another intruder because we got Albert in here. He's doing some editing from a live stream that we just did. So uh, if there's some background mm-hmm. noise or some people trying to make us laugh or throw popcorn at us or whatever it is they're doing, um, please just know that we're doing our best to avoid them. Which brings us to our topic today, which yeah, is what? We've got a great topic today. It's called A Call to Arms. Oh, goody. Let's roll up our sleeves and dig in. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, we just give you praise and thanks for these days that we're in this extraordinary season of Easter when we cannot thank you often enough or loudly enough for what Jesus has accomplished. And so, Father, we just come before you right now. We ask that you and your kindness would be gracious and pour out your Holy Spirit upon myself and upon Mary, that the words that we say would be such that they would bring encouragement and hope to those who are listening, that they would motivate us uh, to pick up those arms that you desire to put into our hands so as to accomplish the mission that you've entrusted to us to get your world back. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So Amen. let me set this up if I can, because I'm sure that title looks a little bit provocative. And if you know us, we tend to be a little bit provocative every once in a while and a little edgy. But let me let me just say a couple of things as we start, and then I'm going to throw a scenario to you, uh, actually an, an event that you and I were mm-hmm. a part of a set of years ago. I can't repeat often enough, and if you've listened to this, podcast in the past, you've heard us say these things, but it's just so important to keep reiterating. Uh, There is only one enemy in the Christian life. Well, I shouldn't say it that way because the church says there's three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The point is there is no human being who is my enemy. Um, We are living in a culture and a church too, for that matter, where we oftentimes are quick to demonize another uh, to blame the other. Um, and that's not to say that people don't do bad things. People have done bad things to me. We, I've done bad things. We've all done bad things, right? But there is only one enemy who is Satan and his minions. So when we start talking about language like a call to arms, which is very military language, we're talking about call to arms for that battle. 
you know, Paul says in Ephesians that our, fle- our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. So that, that's who we're fighting. So we want to talk a little bit today. We want to break open in this episode uh, really a plea from us in Acts 29 to those of you who are listening. So this is kind of like a public service announcement <laughs> or a self-serving announcement, but it's something that we're just increasingly aware of the need for. So uh, that's that, the action item in this episode is going to be to ask you to to help us out in a very particular way. Now, that said, let me take take everybody back to our time when you and I were serving together on a team in a parish with a, a good 20-some people. And we did a lot of things to do some team building. You know, we had fun together. We got to dinner all the time together. We, we brought people in to work with us to kind of mold us into a team to help us, you know, learn how to have better conflict. And we went from being what I would call like a really highly functioning, dysfunctional staff to, uh, to a family. And it was just extraordinary to be a part of. But one of the things that we did, we would oftentimes watch movies and then we'd go out to dinner afterwards or we would take time to break open. Why did we watch that? And I remember one of the movies that we watched as a team shortly after it came out on video was Hacksaw Ridge. So if you're not familiar with Hacksaw Ridge, here's your homework. Watch it. It's not a, it's a remarkable, I I found it, a movie that is surprisingly about more than war. It's about marriage, it's about family, it's about faith. It's intense to be sure. There are some very hard scenes to watch because it is uh, about World War II, but it's more than a war movie. I guess that's the point, which is why we showed it as our team. It it just had some incredible insights. In fact, it's the movie that I watch every Good Friday now because I find this man that it's about, Desmond Doss, to be such a remarkable image of Jesus He's a tremendous image of missionary discipleship, kind of going out into the battle and finding people who are wounded and then bringing them to safety, which is kind of a way to think about the Christian life. We ourselves have been plucked from the war. We're still in the battle, to be sure, but the Lord wants to use us to go out and to rescue others, as you often say, rescued people, rescue people. So we're watching this movie. We were in uh, one of the parish buildings, doesn't matter which one it was, and there's a particular scene And I want to just ask you to describe this scene. And then I I want to ask you just to share, because I remember this like it was yesterday. This was six, seven years ago now at least. And in the middle of this scene, you just said something out loud. So set up the scene Mm -hmm. real quickly and then share with us Mm -hmm. what it is you said out loud, would you? Yeah, I I really think that it was the Spirit speaking um, at that time. So there's a scene in the movie um, they're trying to take Hacksaw Ridge. And there's a scene in the movie where all of the troops on the ridge are now off the ridge. 400 they've, feet down below. They've right. taken the ropes and, and, and they're now descending off the ridge. And one man stays on the ridge, and that's the main character, Private Desmond Doss. And he's running into battle. And as he's running into battle, he's running into what... Um, it, it's artillery fire that's coming from off the coast, from the ships. So it's covering him in such a way that he can go in and start rescuing people because, mm-hmm. remember, he's a medic. Mm-hmm. And so he's going into the battle to rescue people and to bring them off the ridge. Mm-hmm. And at one critical point, the artillery cover, cover uh, the artillery fire stops. His cover, his air cover, is gone. And this man who's seeking to rescue people is left vulnerable to the enemy. Mm. 
And in that moment, it was just so clear to me. It was like that artillery cover is like intercessory prayer cover for us as Christians. Yep, and you said that out loud. Yeah, I, You I said did. something like... That's prayer cover. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that. prayer cover. And I remember kind of turning. I don't remember where you were sitting, where I was sitting, because there were a number of people yeah. in the room, but I just went, oh, we got to go back to that. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, as soon as the movie ended, we did. We kind of went, like, what, what were you thinking about there? Mm-hmm. And now this has become such a powerful visual for us in how we think about uh, the role of intercessory prayer. So let's try to unpack that a little bit and make clear what it is that we want to try to invite people to consider doing. We talk often in a lot of different contexts, whether it's the Rescue Project or some of the other events that we do when we're out speaking live, about how baptism makes us to be priest, prophet, and king. And unfortunately, you know, the church, like... Some of us are probably very familiar with those words or with that reality that, oh, yeah, I'm a priest, prophet, and king. And then if I push and say, well, what does that mean? I don't know. I just know I'm a priest, prophet, and king. And I have found it, you know, I think 27 years ago when I got ordained, I I was just saying this to somebody. I made it a point. I want to be really intentional about trying to help people not just know what the church teaches, but why. Like, what's the big deal about being a priest, prophet, and king, for gosh sakes? And oftentimes when we're with uh, clergy and lay audiences alike, I'll make a point to point to a woman. I'll just say, are you a baptized person? And if she says yes, I'll, I'll say, did you know you're a priest? And probably, I'll bet half the time they say no, I would guess. And the other half of the time, if I say, um, if they say yes, and I say, do you know what that means? I'll bet more than half the time they'll say, no, not really. And so it's just worth contemplating for a moment on the fact that baptism makes every single person to be a priest. Now, there's lots of things about priesthood that we could unpack here, but I only want to unpack one. So priests have both rights and responsibilities. And the right is something that, again, we break this open in the Rescue Project, but I want to break it open quickly here at least again because it's really worth lingering with especially in this season of Easter. The right that's granted to us in priesthood, what we have by baptism, is you and I can go into God's courts. Think of the the scene on Good Friday when Jesus dies, and the Gospels tell us that something happens to the temple veil, right? The veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place. What happens? It's ripped. Yeah, it's ripped. From the top. Yeah, from the top, which is to say God tore it. Mm -hmm. That's the point of the scriptures. God tore the veil. Oh, what's the big deal about the veil? Well, the big deal about the veil is before that, before Jesus dies, nobody had access to God. Well, one guy had access to God, right? Once a year with a rope around his waist in case he died so that if he died, they could pull him out. So when we talk about the fact that we can call God Father, that we can go into his courts, that we can draw near to him, I don't think, in fact, I I know this is true for my life until, I don't know, a set of years ago, I don't think we really grasp just how remarkable that is. Yeah, it's a radical gift. Radical gift. Radical gift, and you know, we, we, we talk often about, or I hear 
we, we hear you talk about, you know, try to call the president of the United States. Like, good luck with that. Right, you're not going to get through. Try calling your physician. Try calling your governor, what, what, whatever it might be. But we have access to our father 24-7. Right. Like, like we, can, we can come into his throne room on our knees in prayer right. for all manner of need. Yeah, and this is something that's not just it, it, easy to kind of grasp if you, if you think about it in terms of, you know, contrasting talking to God versus contrasting talking to the president one-on-one. But again, going back to the, the Old Testament, this is something which was unheard of in the Old Testament, which is totally new as a result of what Jesus has done for us. So, think, you know, I was thinking of the passage in Hebrews 12 the other day where it says, you have not come to what may be touched. It starts in verse 18. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers entreat that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. This is going back to the, the scene in Exodus 19 and the, uh, the giving of the law, right? And so the, the, the author to the letter to the Hebrews is saying, that's not us. In the Old Testament, nobody has access. Nobody can draw near. Even a beast you had to stone. In fact, Hebrews goes on to say, this was so terrifying that even Moses trembled with fear. Now we've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You can almost hear like the author just calming everything down. Now here's where we've come. To the innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel, which of course cried out from the ground, vengeance on his brother who killed him. So we have this, this right that we have, and, and that's actually how Scripture talks about it. It's a right. It's not just that we can access God. We have a right it's to go our, into his courts. Yeah, it's part of our inheritance as his children. Yeah, it's just extraordinary, right? It's, it's one of the reasons why Jesus has some of the controversies that he has with the religious leaders, because if he was like them, he would not be mingling with sinners. I think we, we don't understand this oftentimes, but they, they were forbidden from being amongst the people. I mean, they were called to be apart from, not a part of. Otherwise, they would become impure, ritually impure. They couldn't perform the, the, uh, the rituals that they were established to perform. But here comes Jesus, and he totally overturns priesthood. Not only the, the understanding for us who are ordained of what priesthood looks like for us, you know, Pope Francis made that famous comment, you know, like, the priest needs to smell like the sheep. I mean, Nothing could be farther from the truth in the Old Testament right. than the, sh- the, the, the shepherd smelling like the sheep. Like, not a chance. Like, they were never around the sheep. They were around real sheep all the time, killing them and offering them in sacrifice. But they weren't around the people. Here comes Jesus. He's around the people. Thanks be to God. And now our task is, as ordained, best that we can anyway, mm-hmm. is to be around the people, to not be apart from, to be a part of which is uh, not necessarily something we all learned, quite frankly. Right. That's another topic for another day. So that's the right that we have. 
long way of setting up what we want to talk about and what we want to ask people for. And, and that's a, a, an opportunity to exercise the responsibility. And the responsibility is to go into God's courts on behalf of others. Yeah, you know, Father John, there's so much goodness that you just shared there. And I'm thinking about, you know, this radical reorientation, this privilege, this gift that the Father's handing to us, his children, because he loves us so much. He's saying, I'm available for you. I'm here for you. And I'm reminded in um, the last episode of the Rescue Project, you break open all these different ways that we as disciples of Jesus can be agents of transformation and healing and all of these different ways that we can help build for the kingdom of God. And you make a distinction, though, that there's two missions that, each and every one of us have, regardless of, of where, what our sphere of influence might be. And one of them um, is to uh, stand in agonizing prayer for the world mm. before the Father. Mm. And that is to intercede for all manner of things, for the needs of all people, for nations, leaders, for families, for culture, for political systems, for unity, for healing, for all of it. That's what we can do. And I think sometimes we can trivialize this tremendous opportunity that we have when someone comes alongside and says, you know, what can I do for you? Well, gosh, I really just would love you to pray. And that can be received as something rather insignificant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to do more. I, I think prayer is one of the greatest gift exchange between a brother and a sister in the Lord, there is no greater gift. I mean, I'm not talking outside the Eucharist. What a great gift to pray, to let someone know I am carrying you. Yeah, and I'm going to battle for and you. And I'm going to fight for right. you. Which goes yeah, back to absolutely. that image that we started yeah. with, and that's the that's the rationale for the, the title of this episode, A Call to Arms. So let's go back to that scene and that comment that you made when the artillery fire stopped, and you said he just lost his prayer cover. Mm-hmm. And so we were with some friends uh, not too long ago, uh, two couples that we're close with. And amongst the four of them, there's three Marines and a, and a special ops person. These are some tough dudes and dudettes. <laughs> and women. <laughs> some tough dudes and some tough dudettes. And strong folks. Like if I'm in a war, I want these people with me. But they introduced us to this uh, expression, which I have just found so helpful. They've, you know, we, we often share with them and they share with us different things to pray for and they, they said to us one time, they said, uh, I got a text from one of them, just said, Padre, we're laying down some suppressive fire for you. And I went, thanks. Wow. What's that mean? <laughs> you know? And then they went on to explain it. So su- suppressive fire, uh, for those of us who are not in the military, and I was not, uh, is one of those things which Wikipedia um, breaks open as fire that degrades the performance of an enemy force below the level needed to fulfill its mission. That's why I made that comment at the very beginning about it's so important to remember who the enemy is. Mm -hmm. The enemy is not another human being. The enemy is Satan and his minions. And when we pray for each other, when we go before the Father's throne, when we take advantage of and capitalize on this right that we have, use the responsibility well that he's given to us to bring another, could be an individual, could be a couple, could be an apostolate in our case, before the Father. What we're doing is we're laying down suppressive fire and we're, we're doing what we can to thwart the enemy from being able to accomplish his mission because the enemy gets a vote. So, you know, 
your married woman, the enemy has a plan for you and your husband. He wants to do everything he can to derail it. You know, Deacon Mark's over there, soon to be ordained, God willing, to the priesthood. The enemy's got a plan for his life. You know, the enemy's got a plan for your children. The enemy has a plan to to thwart every single parish from being able to accomplish the end for which Jesus uh, established it and that he wants to fulfill through it. The enemy's constantly, he's prowling like a roaring lion, St. Peter says, right? So, and he doesn't sleep, as C.S. Lewis reminded us in one of his little novels. So the, the, they're, they're trying to fulfill their mission, the minions, right? Suppressive fire is our way, going before the Lord in prayer on behalf of another, is our way of degrading them in their attempt to perform the, their mission. And I, I love the way, I love the way Wikipedia writes. It's so profound, right? Um, <laughs> they, they go on to say the purpose of suppression is to stop or prevent the enemy from observing, shooting, moving, or carrying out other tasks that interfere or could interfere with the activities of friendly forces that would be us. And it only is effective so long as it lasts. And, and I think, I think um, when you got your degree in military science from uh-huh. Wikipedia, I think you also learned, Father John, and, and as long as it is sufficiently intense. Indeed. And that really gets to the core of what it is we want to talk about, what we're, what we're asking from all of our friends who listen to us. So tell them what we're asking. So, you know, um, it, it's been on our heart for, for some time um, with the recognition that, that um, we, you, you launch a ministry and we have a very bold vision and that's to help God get his world back. That, that's a pretty bold mission that's been entrusted to us. And so you launch this global mission and it just stands to reason if we want to take back territory for, take territory back from the enemy and to be engaged in the world and the church that we also need to launch a global prayer initiative. That's an essential part of our mission as disciples is to pray because prayer releases power to affect real change mm. in the world. Because when we go to the Father and we ask in prayer, it moves the Father to act. He not only hears our prayers, but he acts. And so if we're really serious about wanting to transform the world and the church, then we need to mobilize an army of men and women and families and children to be part of a global gospel prayer initiative. Can I, I want to just pause real quick. I want to ask everybody to do two things. First, if you're driving right now or whatever you're doing, I want you to hit pause and just say a quick prayer for us. Ask the Lord to protect us. We go very hard in our ministry after the enemy, which means the enemy comes very hard after us. So people ask us all the time, how can we pray for you? We tell them one word, protection, you know, two words, suppressive fire. So whatever you're doing, please just on our behalf as friends who listen to us say a prayer for us that the Lord will give us the protection that we need to be able to do the work that he's asking us to do and that he'll help us to do it in the manner that he wants us to do it. And then the second thing I'd ask everybody to do is just make yourself a little note. Maybe make a reminder in your phone. Maybe make a a reminder in your prayer journal. Maybe you put it on a sticky note. I don't care where you put it. Just to daily pray for us. There, There are so many applications to this for other 
or other applications, I should say. Could be your parish, your family, your marriage, you know, your grandchildren, whatever it might be. But right now, we just want to ask people to really pray for us because we're very mindful of the fact mm-hmm. that we, we just need suppressive fire. You know, we're asking what we're asking to that point is we're asking you to make room in your heart oh, for us that. because it's so easy. I mean, we, we, we pray. compliments f- the military image. Yeah, you know, we, we, we pray often for our family and our friends and those things that are before us, but we're asking you to open wide the doors of your hearts to make room for Acts 29 because what we're in need of is artillery cover. Mm-hmm for our team because we're ministering to a crying world and a crying church. And the enemy does not like the fact that God is on the move. You know, know, we, we have the great grace and privilege of traveling all over the country and we hear from brothers and sisters all over the world and they testify not only to the need for prayer, but they testify to the reality of what they're seeing. And what they're seeing is that the Holy Spirit is moving in power. So they're giving voice to, they're painting a picture of this spiritual battle that we're engaged in. And um, you know, I, I'm reminded of the strength that comes in prayer. I was reflecting earlier on a passage from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4, verse 12. And it reads, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's what we're asking for, is for this, for this, this creation of a threefold cord so that we can stay strong and fortified as we minister in the way that God's inviting us to minister. Amen. Amen. So that, that's... That's the point of this episode. Uh, it's just a real uh, sincere plea to all of you uh, to hold us in your prayers, um, especially for protection uh, from the enemy. I mean, it's easy to get intimidated by the enemy, but the enemy is lost. Uh, Jesus has definitively, he's defeated him. He just has not yet destroyed him. That will happen when he returns in glory. There are some skirmishes happening. Yeah, there are some skirmishes happening. And, and even as we say that, please know this, every day we are holding you in prayer most especially, not only, but most especially when we offer to the Father the greatest of prayers, which is uh, the celebration of the liturgy and the Eucharist, which we do in our chapel here in our offices or where we might be when we're on the road. So we are bringing you and all your petitions uh, before the Father, but we would uh, urgently ask you to be praying for us. And, you know, maybe I, uh, if I can, Mary, I want to close with this. I felt like the sure. Lord just put in mind the passage at the beginning of the, uh, the book of Revelation at the end where John has, because again, we, you know, we're talking about language that's, I, I just finished this book during Lent called Spiritual Combat. You know, the, the author, 16th century author says, you need to wake up every morning with the mentality of a soldier who realizes I have two choices today. I fight or I die. Well, you know, that's not language you use all the time, right? And people sometimes think we're, and maybe we are, a bit intense, and, but I think what the Lord's enabled us to do is to see with spiritual eyes, you know, the whole breadth of what it is that we're dealing with, right? And we, we want to be cognizant of the fact that Jesus is Lord and he has won. But as you just said, there are still some mighty skirmishes taking place and they're more than skirmishes. There's some real ugliness that's happening in the world and all we have to do is read the news to say that. That's reality. And yet, the Lord is Lord. You know, Jesus, it's not that Jesus will be Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is 
Lord of heaven and earth. It's not that all authority will be given to him on heaven or on earth and in heaven. All authority has been given to him. And when John sees Jesus in glory in Revelation, it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. In other words, apparently there's something rather overwhelming about encountering the living God, right? It's so awe-inspiring and so potentially intimidating that you immediately realize, I don't think he's just a good guy, right? And so he just collapses. But then note what it says. It says, but he laid his right hand upon me. As, as if just like, like ever so gently, this is how I picture this, just ever so gently like rousing him on the shoulder, like a, a touch that's firm but really gentle at the same time, communicates safety. And Jesus says this, not just to him but to you and to me right now. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. And then I picture Jesus, you know, standing John up, and he stands you and me up right now, and he has this incredible smile on his face. And he looks at John, he looks at us, he says, I died, but behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have, that is to say no one else has, I have the keys of death and Hades. So people, do not be afraid. That's the God that's with you. And you were born for this. 